Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we're going to be revisiting some conversations from last year, from the fall and winter of 2021. This year, 2022, has been a big one for the Church in Canada that included a papal visit. The purpose of the visit was for the Pope to apologize to Indigenous people for the role that the Catholic Church played in the residential school system. But before that happened, Canadian bishops had issued an apology themselves. That took place in September 2021. Today, we will revisit a conversation I had with Bishop William McGratton, Vice President of the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, about that apology. After that, we will reconnect with singer-songwriter Dennis Grady from Bishop McGratton's Diocese of Calgary, who's been doing wonderful work in the local reserve with his organization, Franciscan and Friends. In our second half hour, Dan Whitehead of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries tells us about a program designed just for Catholics. And we end the show by meeting singer-songwriter Will Hickel and learn all about the Novum Collective. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at slmedia.org podcast. And to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also email me, pedro at slmedia.org. We begin now with an apology by Canadian bishops. This past September 30th was the first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, a new statutory holiday in Canada. Um, It was created in order to honor victims and survivors of residential schools. Um, There were commemorative events all over the country, and one of these was a prayer service at St. Michael's Cathedral in Toronto, presided over by Cardinal Thomas Collins. During his homily, Cardinal Collins read a statement of apology that Canadian bishops had signed the week before. We, the Catholic bishops of Canada, gathered in plenary this week, take this opportunity to affirm to you, the indigenous people of this land, that we acknowledge the suffering experienced in Canada's Indian residential schools. Many Catholic religious communities and dioceses participated in this system, which led to the suppression of Indigenous languages, culture, and spirituality, failing to respect the rich history, traditions, and wisdom of Indigenous peoples. We acknowledge the grave abuses that were committed by some members of our Catholic community physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual, cultural, and sexual. We also sorrowfully acknowledge the historical and ongoing trauma and the legacy of suffering and challenges faced by Indigenous peoples that continue to this day. Along with those Catholic entities which were directly involved in the operation of the schools and which which have already offered their own heartfelt apologies, We, the Catholic Bishops of Canada, express our profound remorse and apologize unequivocally. We are fully committed to the process of healing and reconciliation. Together with the many pastoral initiatives already underway in dioceses across the country, and as a further tangible expression of this ongoing commitment, we are pledging to undertake fundraising in each region of the country to support initiatives discerned locally with Indigenous partners. 
Furthermore, we invite the Indigenous peoples to journey with us into a new era of reconciliation, helping us in each of our dioceses across the country to prioritize initiatives of healing, to listen to the experience of Indigenous peoples, especially to the survivors of Indian residential schools, and to educate our clergy, consecrated men and women, and lay faithful on Indigenous cultures and spirituality. We commit ourselves to continue the work of providing documentation or records that will assist in the memorialization of those buried in unmarked graves. Having heard the request to engage Pope Francis in this reconciliation process, a delegation of Indigenous survivors, elders, knowledge keepers, and youth will meet with the Holy Father in Rome in December of 2021. Pope Francis will encounter and listen to the Indigenous participants so as to discern how he can support our common desire to renew relationships and walk together along the path of hope in the coming years. We pledge to work with the Holy See and our Indigenous partners on the possibility of a pastoral visit by the Pope to Canada as part of this healing journey. We commit ourselves to continue accompanying you, the First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples of this land, standing in respect of your resiliency, strength, and wisdom. We look forward to listening to and learning from you as we walk in solidarity. After our bishops released the apology, I had the chance to speak with Bishop William McGratton of Calgary. He's the Vice President of the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops. Here is part of that conversation. Bishop McGratton, it's good to see you. Welcome. Thank you, Pedro. It's good to be with you again. Um, a statement was released at the end of the meetings last week. Tell us about that statement. Well, as you said in the opening remarks, this has been a very uh, monumental plenary. Uh, we have in the past always each year talked about Indigenous issues. However, this year we uh, recognize the need to uh, speak with one voice as Canadian bishops and to offer an unequivocal apology uh, for the history and for the trauma and the legacy of residential schools. And so I hope that this message uh, is received in a way that demonstrates our, our commitment as Catholic bishops uh, to continue this process of healing and reconciliation. Uh, it was a statement that was unanimously accepted, and it was one that uh, many of the bishops realized that we are committed as shepherds to, to this path of healing and uh, restoration for our, our First Nations, our Indigenous peoples. Right. Um, I mentioned that it was a statement because I think it's important to note that it wasn't just an apology, that the apology comes with some commitments to action. So tell us more about what the statement said. So in addition to that, uh, we the bishops have also identified and committed ourselves to renewed fundraising initiatives that will be uh, taken uh, in the regions of Canada, uh, local initiatives, working with our Indigenous communities to identify priorities. Mm -hmm. So this was important. We saw that healing and reconciliation needs to begin at the grassroots uh, in the local uh, experiences. Uh, here being in the West and also in other parts of Canada, this, this legacy has been there. So that was the first commitment. Um, mm -hmm. The second was uh, a renewed understanding that education 
uh, a deepening understanding and, and consciousness to the effects that this has had, uh, the ongoing, the historical effects, and even for our own Catholic people, that yes. our knowledge of this particular reality in our history is something that we have to be committed to understand and to, through a sense of truth, then begin to understand why these steps of healing and reconciliation are important. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one is, I think, really uh, pertinent to what happened with the discovery of the unmarked graves. Um, many of the dioceses have records, sacramental records, parish mm-hmm. records that can be made available and can help communities to uh, identify loved ones and uh, be part of that process of a memorialization. Uh, so these are, are further kind of concrete commitments that these are actions that we have committed ourselves in and through this apology, and they will continue. They're not an easy fix, no. but they also have to be seen as the beginnings of these steps of, of reconciliation. But they're also not a, a, a reaction to what has been happening in the church this year. I mean, is it fair to say that a lot of these even commitments, uh, actions have been, have been happening for the last I'd say six, ten years or more, um, and it's not a new thing. Uh, is that fair to say? It is fair. It's a fair statement. Um, we have, as a church, recognized our role and participation in this uh, residential school system. Uh, yet, most recently, in the last three or four years, as the um, Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, report came out, we as bishops have been actively involved in, in listening circles. Yes. trying to uh, understand this with our First Nations, Indigenous communities and leaders. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, these are the steps that led to the preparation of the delegation to right. go to Rome and to allow those who uh, are from these communities to engage with the Holy Father and for him to listen firsthand and to understand this pain and suffering. And we know that the Holy Father is open. Uh, we, we know that his heart is very committed to reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a delegation that will be traveling to Rome in December. Uh, can you give us any details about what we know at this point, about what that will look like? Well, it's made up first of uh, the First Nations, uh, also the Métis and, and the Inuit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's about 28 delegates uh, comprising of those three groupings of uh, Indigenous peoples, mm-hmm. along with... Uh, myself and now the president, um, Monsignor Poisson, and other bishops who have been intimately involved in these listening circles. So it's a three-day delegation, and our Holy Father has set aside three distinct times to meet with each group individually wow. and to understand their particular circumstances, and then to meet with them at the end of the three-day delegation as a, as a total group. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that uh, this time with the Holy Father, also with some of the dicasteries that will help uh, us in our work with them, uh, will be fruitful. And so, yes, again, it's a, it's a step of our desire and our commitment for, for healing. That was part of a conversation I had with Bishop William McGratton of Calgary. To listen to the full interview, go to slmedia.org and to find out more resources about truth and reconciliation and the work that our bishops have been doing for many, many, many years now, go to their website, cccb.ca. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Dennis Grady, 
with the title track of his album, Grace in the Strangest Places. Dennis Grady with Grace in the Strangest Places from his album of the same name. I've known Dennis Grady for some 20 years. Way before anyone was doing Catholic music in Canada, Dennis was out there with his guitar, paving the way for the rest of us. Dennis was on the Sultanite Hour when we first started the show some 11 years ago and hasn't been back because he hasn't been releasing a lot of new music. But there's a good reason for that. And that is because of the work that he's been doing with Franciscan and Friends. And so to tell us more, I'm now joined by Dennis Grady. Dennis, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. It's good to see you, my friend. Yeah, good to see you too, Pedro. So um, it's not entirely correct for me to say that you're not doing music anymore because music is a huge part of what you're doing. Tell oh, us. It's a valuable tool in the toolbox. Um. Everybody in Canada is talking about reconciliation. How are you guys going about reconciliation with our Indigenous peoples? We're very basic 
we just go out to the reserves and we meet people. And it's been nice because several of the reserves here have some really dedicated priests, which gives us a community connection. Mm-hmm. But um, one priest, Father Longvu at uh, Siksika, gave me the keys of the church. And so we've been doing concerts and uh, we've been doing special dinners and AA talks. So little by little, you meet people. And our approach has always been to listen, you know, to be educated. We, we really need to understand generational trauma, residential schools. And I think when the, the nation um, has the experience of people listening to them, it's, mm-hmm. they recognize that because a lot of people want to come in with solutions and, you know, maybe minimize. But when you see I'm, I'm out there four or five times a month on the different reserves and you see the impact of some folks' lives. And also the, the treatment they get because, you know, the racism issue. But, you know, Billy Graham had a great line that I picked up years ago, go with the goers. Yeah. So you, you get an idea and they say, okay, let's just do this thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when music has been part of it, we, we've done some festivals and that's where we've met a lot of people. We had a patron put up 5,000 bucks for a talent contest. They love contests. Yeah, we had these categories: best band, first, second, third, solo, and then kids. Um, it's fascinating because you didn't start with this idea. It's like, okay, we're going to go do reconciliation. Let's go into the reserve. I mean, the Franciscan and Friends has been doing this kind of work for a long time. Um, I know you've done, you know, uh, mission trips abroad and stuff, and I want to ask you about that. But how did Franciscan and Friends start? Well, you were in on the genesis because. I had been touring Italy with those crazy Italians, <laughs> God rest, uh, Roberto Bignoli's Bignoli. soul. But, you know, I got a call. Like, first of all, we went down just after 9-11 because we'd arranged a tour. And then they had the Catholic Music Awards in Washington. So um, we put up posters and, uh, you know, I blitzed all the churches and especially the Italian churches. Well, you know, that tour was really a, a kind of a painful but a good lesson because when I came back, um, there was this thought, well, I'll just forget it, go back to a day job. Mm-hmm. And then the phone rings, and it's Father Edwin Joseph Paniagua from a parish in North Toronto. And he said, We're looking for some Italian music. We're an Italian parish. Right. And one thing led to another. And then he said, Can you coordinate a tour? And I was able to bring in, like, we have a lot of recovering drug addicts, alcoholics from other denominations, but they they work well together and they understand going out in ministry, like in love and and the connection that music can provide. So from that, we met Derek Fields from Barbados and um, um, we met uh, from Trinidad, a woman that was running a group called the Love Movement. So we, I, you know, I had rented a van and I said, to, you know, jump in with us. We're going to play in Scarborough tonight and stuff. And so that camaraderie helped foster the relationship. And then Bernadette Scott from Trinidad would phone me like every three or four months. And in 2005, she called and, you know, they talked, they, she said, brother, I've been talking to the spirit. And I said, oh yeah, what's the spirit saying? She said, well, they'll phone you and to see if you can get those recovering drug addicts and alcoholics to come down and play in our prisons and drug rehabs. And then I said to her sister, did the spirit say how? <laughs> and then I said, you know what, if you can get billeting, I'll put the word out. And you know, our cam network, I put the word out. We had 21 people go down and it was amazing. I mean, it was just, you see you know, the, the prophecies of the new evangelism and stuff. And then we expect it to come from down on, mm-hmm. you know, 
the upper echelon of the church, here's the instructions, here's the description, but sometimes it's like stepping out of the boat and going in trust. But the sign we had, we were invited. And that was the genesis, Franciscan and yeah. friends. And every year, we, we just kept going back, all and the Caribbean been, islands. And you've been to other countries as well. And I love, I love Belize, Dominican. Yeah, and I love what you said, that it's really, this is like the church from the bottom up. This is how stuff happens. And, exactly. and I'm, glad, I'm glad that it was the spirit who started it and not <laughs> somebody else. So then this idea of basically grabbing your guitar and going, you've, you've translated it to a reality that that you live with every day in your city in Calgary. Yeah. You got to have some Willie Nelson songs and some Hank Williams. <laughs> <laughs> so is music, would you say that music is the focus or music is the excuse so that you can go deeper and just build these relationships? No, it's three prong faith, music, and recovery because um, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic drug addict, 37 years by the grace of God. And so when I started to recognize this thing of, we went out on a project, we had a budget to hire some people and then first paycheck, they're AWOL. And yeah. one guy I gave a guitar to and he got paid at this gig and the next gig he didn't show up with, he showed up without his guitar. He said he, had, he pawned it. So to start, we started to recognize and meet people that had suffered fetal alcohol. So we, we've developed a very strong relationship with the addiction recovery community in Calgary. So we were able to pick up the phone for, for these guys and, and they got to be ready. And, and, and I just said, listen, if you want help, just call, let's call this guy and you get into treatment and your life is going to bless you. So we've had three guys go through in the last two years. One is still sober. The other two are out doing what we call research. But I, but I stay in touch with them because, you know, the, the alcohol is a symptom of something deeper, like a deeper right. woundedness. Right. And we, and we never judge. I just say yeah. like, I went out the other last week, you know, and I've got a musician friend who I love, you know, he's just got this beautiful face and he's lost three brothers in the last two years. Mm. So when I went out, he was looped and stuff, but I said, come on, we're going to take you for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and so we went downtown and he said, Oh, excuse me a second. So he said he was going to look for a friend. And then uh, he went to the liquor store, <laughs> got a bottle. And then he said he wanted to go back with his wife, but I didn't judge. I just, yeah, you know, of course. like he reaches out and he calls and you know, I see in him, I have no right to judge. I don't know what it's like to, to lose three siblings, one violently and the other two, you mm -hmm. know, addiction. So part of this is to see Christ in the poor. Mm -hmm. And it isn't always a pretty picture because there's just this, this woundedness, but you know, so the recovery thing is really important. And yeah. we, we, the relationship with the agencies, because the agencies here are, are wanting to reach out and do the truth and reconciliation too, but there needs to be this, this bridge. Yeah. And that's where the music comes in. No, I, I am excited because it's really, it's, it's the core of doing mission work. Like you're going out, you're meeting people where there are, you're not judging, you're, you're basically becoming their friends. So maybe in closing, Dennis, for those listeners that are thinking, wow, I'd like to do that. I don't know how to be a missionary. I don't have a reserve near me. What, what do you tell them? What should they do? Well, if they're interested, I want them to call me <laughs> and uh, I will, because we're getting a sense not to get ahead of the Holy Spirit, but our ambition. I've traveled in the United States on the reserves. It's the same climate, same situation. Yeah. And I'm getting a sense I, I'm, I was born in Peterborough, raised in Ontario, and I know that there's reserves there. I have these yep. old hippie musician friends who are curious, but 
I'm finding now that we have a little, you know, this concept of a tour bus of musicians and some recovery people and just go, you know, like from town to town and, and, and present this thing. And we, we've done that in Southern Alberta and it's been remarkable. The whole community cuts together in community hall and yeah. they make Indian tacos, you know, and one <laughs> event we were doing, even the gang members were putting their head in the door and thinking, what's going on here? Yeah. So I think there's a simple, simple thing, but I always remember what Margaret Mead said, there's nothing stronger than a grassroots movement with passion. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we have this added advantage with the church, the sacraments, we are fed with the finest. So, you know, that inspiration and, and, and those lessons in prayer and discernment of listening to each other, then, then God brings this vision saying, let's just do this. So mm -hmm. I would just say, if they're interested, that I'm telling our, you know, our friends in CAM in the United States, I'm saying, you know, their ministries are sort of stalling. I said, get your guitar, go to the reserve. Yeah. Well, should I talk to the bishop? And I said, well, if he wants to come. <laughs> but you know what? Right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's scary. We've watched too many John Wayne movies. But after I go, I'm going on Friday to see Leonard Little Mustache. And, you know, it's like Christmas, you know, two more sleeps and stuff. Because I know this encounter thing is that um, St. Vincent de Paul said, go to the poor and you'll find God. I think this is where the grassroots thing comes. You know, you're there, you've been in ministry a long time. People phone. Yeah, they're from, it's true. it doesn't matter really where they're from, but it's like, hey, you know, we want to, you know, we want to minister together and connect. And it, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be project oriented, but we have a rosary group. We say every night at 730, you know, and you get Maybe the they can join to that yeah. in the spirit. And to pray for people. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's good advice, uh, Dennis. Uh, those uh, people listening, they can contact Dennis. And if you have a guitar, even better. And if you want to just grab your guitar and go, grab your guitar and go. That's all you need. We've got a place for you to stay. We'll look after you. That's great. Thank you, Dennis Grady. It's good to see you, my friend. Yeah, good to see you too, buddy. What you got to get out here sometime again. We'll go. For I'd love day. to do that. Yes, I'll bring my guitar. Okay, ciao. You can learn all about the work of Dennis Grady and Franciscan and Friends at their website, franciscanandfriends.ca. If you missed part of the interview or to listen to it again, head on over to slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is Dennis Grady with his song, He is God, from his album, Grace in the Strangest Places.
We're listening to Dennis Grady with He Is God from his album Grace in the Strangest Places. This is a special edition of the Saltonite Hour featuring some of our favorite conversations from the fall and winter of 2021. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and Instagram and check our website at esselmedia.org. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. It seems incredible, but one in four people will be affected by a mental health problem at some point in their lives. But there's still stigma surrounding mental illness, and this affects how we in our churches and faith communities respond. There are lots of resources to help people help those with mental health issues, but not all of them are dedicated to helping communities of faith to raise awareness, reduce stigma, support mental health, and promote mental well-being. But this is the mission of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Daniel Whitehead. He's the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries from his home in Vancouver, British Columbia. Daniel, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be with you. It's a, it's an important conversation, so I'm I'm happy to uh, to have you with us, so you can help us with this, because I I think that a lot of us know people or have be people in our families, but nobody talks about it. And then when we look at our faith communities, I mean, I read that that statistic, and I think does that mean that people in the pews, maybe one in four, are struggling with, or at least every family has someone. So, I guess I. I think I know how you're going to answer, but what, what would you say? Why would you say that there's a need to address mental health issues mm. from a faith-based perspective? Is it different? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think um, there's a few ways of tackling that, but I think probably the, the, the most important point to make is, you know, for those of us that have a faith, I mean, this is our faith is, um, central to our personhood it's central to how we understand the world how we make sense of it Mm -hmm. and i know for me um, to live in a way that is theologically informed and integrated in every aspect of my life Mm -hmm. is a really important endeavor and it's something i as a parent try to help my children do as well so i I mean there is absolutely no reason that mental health should be excluded from that Um, I think there are a number of reasons and factors, but I think there is a a unique and specific form of stigma that often uh, comes with faith communities. And I don't think anyone intended it that way, but sadly it does become the unspoken uh, issue. And when things are hidden away in the darkness, I think they become distorted because they're, they're inadvertently ignored. So I think one way to address that is to bring it into the light and to, to talk about it. So do you mean that because people, because if I, if I have faith, then I shouldn't be having mental health issues, that that's one of the problems that's specific with people that are religious? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think particularly in Western culture, we do have a predisposition to, um, you know, success is defined by our ability to produce mm-hmm. and our ability to be well. And, and uh, these subtle things creep in. And so people do sadly or can feel shame about Mm -hmm. struggles they're having and feel Mm -hmm. like you know if I admit this I'm admitting an inferior faith and of course the irony is when we look in the scriptures and we read the Psalms of Lament for instance yes I mean 40 percent of the the songbook of the Bible (laughs) is people lament and complaining about how terrible the world is yes um 
but also finding hope in the midst of that and, and yeah. learning how to live faithfully through that. That's the, that's the key in, in those right. Psalms is that um, people realize God is with them. And I think certainly people in the midst of a mental health crisis need to know that God is with them. And, and one way we do that as a community is to offer hospitality and love and support and understanding. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so they do need, they might need medical help, but there's yes. also a pastoral and spiritual component to that, which is why I'm intrigued by, I mean, your organization, it, you call yourselves a ministry. Mm. Um, and, and is that, that, that seems to be very important. You're not just doing counseling or, no. you know, you know, psychiatry, but you're actually doing ministry. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we would, we would totally advocate for, doctors doing their jobs and psychologists and therapists we are big champions of of people getting medical support and clinical support mm -hmm. but we would say the church has a unique role in offering support and and one yeah. one mistake often churches make is they they try and become like doctors or like therapists and yes. and actually i think let doctors be doctors let therapists be therapists and the spiritual community can do what it can do which is to offer love support prayer you know, all of those things which which create a circle of care for a person in the midst of crisis. Right. And and I guess conversation, which is part of what we're doing here right now. Um, I'm thinking that maybe we need to just take a step back and clarify. So when you when we talk about mental health or mental health issues, what are we talking about? Yeah, so I mean, we we actually refer to the work of an American uh, sociologist and psychologist called Dr. Corey Keyes, and he talks about mental health as a continuum. Mm -hmm. And mental health is distinct from mental illness. Uh, you can be diagnosed with or without a mental illness, but mental health is something that every human being has, mm -hmm. and it's something that exists on a continuum and it moves around depending on what's happening in our lives. So it, it can intersect with the mental illness, but mm -hmm. but not necessarily. So I think we all need to accept that depending on what's going on in our lives, external factors, the global pandemic would be a, a, an obvious example of that. Right. Most of us are actually struggling a bit in these times. And um, so mental health is something that everyone has and it can move around. And we need to cultivate and think carefully about how are we stewarding our lives in such a way that we're pursuing flourishing uh, rather than accepting languishing in our mental health. Yeah. Okay. So that's a good uh, point of distinction that you don't have to be diagnosed or have, you know, schizophrenia, but if you yeah. have stress, that also affects your mental, your mental health. Um, you have a course, the sanctuary course, but you've developed, uh, I guess, can I call it a version of it? That's so the, the sanctuary mm. course for Catholics. Why, why do Catholics need their own course? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, it's a great question. Um, <laughs> we created an ecumenical course uh, about two years ago, and yeah. I got it into the hands of the then director of Formed, uh, Jade Hendricks, who's become yes. a good friend. And Jade really loved the resource. And before he, he wanted to put it on Formed, and I said, do you think there's any merit to us creating something that feels more Catholic? So that, um, you know, I'm just very aware being a Brit who lives in Canada and having traveled the world that, that you know, culture is important and it's it's important to help people right. uh, to feel comfortable in these conversations. So we embarked on creating something that was very much informed by Catholic theology. We have two archbishops in it, um, yeah. Archbishop Aquila of Denver and Archbishop Miller of Vancouver. Yeah. And uh uh, Divine Mercy University in Sterling, Virginia. So we've got all of these great Catholic thinkers and uh, to influence it. And we've created something that is just feels distinctly Catholic, but has the same message. Right. Yeah. I guess the language also that you use could, could be different. Um, 
how does the course work? Uh, you know, is it, uh, yeah. How does it work? Who is it for? Yeah. So uh, the course is, everything is downloadable on formed at the moment. There will be other distribution channels in the future, but, but we're thrilled to have it on formed. Um, people can download it directly from formed. Um, there are eight sessions, uh, eight films that are approximately 20 minutes each. There's a discussion guide, which is downloadable from formed. We actually also have an audiobook for people who uh, don't like reading or can't read. They can listen yeah. to someone um, reading it to them. And we actually got Dr. Scott Heffelfinger, who's a theologian to, to do the audiobook. Nice. Uh, so everything's downloadable and formed. You can gather in parish groups or just small groups of friends and, and go through the material together to facilitate some great discussion around faith and mental health and how it, how it intersects. So is it for, I mean, it sounds like it's for anyone that's interested in having those conversations. Do you say that it's more of a support for, for church leaders or faith leaders so that they can be more aware of how to support people that are having through uh, going through mental health issues? Yeah. I mean, we, so we, we have always created all our resources are with the whole church in mind. Okay. Um, having said that, very often what a church will do is leaders will go through it and then they'll introduce it to their congregation because I guess the point with this is we all need to be informed and um, and educated on how to support someone what to say what not to say um, which is often just as important as, as knowing what to say is what not to say so I think uh, it is for the whole church but but certainly yeah there are leaders often go through it uh, first right okay so but it's but it's it, it's easy to access it's uh, easy to facilitate um, yes. it's easy to do during a pandemic when you can't gather together um, so it yeah. sounds like it's, it's a great resource um, Daniel thank you so much for uh, for doing the work that you do and for sharing it with us today and and for creating this this special uh, uh, resource that I think uh, is going to be very useful for a lot of a lot of parishes um, yeah, it's a it's an important conversation. So I'm happy to, to have been able to have that with you today. Oh, well, thank you. It is our joy to do it. It really is. Uh, we feel very privileged to do this work and to partner with God and with people of faith all over the world. So uh, thank you. Thank you for your work too. Thank you. And, and yeah, no, it's good to know about your organization too. I think a lot of our listeners will be intrigued and might want to check you out and find out uh, some of the other offerings that you might have. So uh, I encourage our listeners to, uh, to go and do that. So thank you, Daniel. Have, uh, have a great rest of the week. Will do. God you bless. Do. Daniel bless Whitehead, he's the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. You can find out more about their work at their website, sanctuarymentalhealth.org. Um, that's also where you can find out more about the course, the Sanctuary Course for Catholics, which can also be accessed on Formed. So that's formed.org. If you missed any part of our conversation or you want to listen to it again, just visit us at slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is the psalm for the third Sunday of Easter, Lord, Let Your Face Shine on Us, composed by Will Hickel and sung by Rita West from the Novum Records Liturgy Resources. i
That was Lord, Let Your Face Shine on Us, sung by Rita West. Uh, it's the psalm for the third Sunday of Easter, composed by Will Hickel from the Liturgy Resources by Novum. Will Hickel is a singer, songwriter, and worship leader, and part of the duo Novum, which he shares with Eric Wilkes. Uh, that collaboration led to the creation of a collective of artists called Novum Collective, and uh, they are also the people behind Novum Records. Now, Novum, the band, has since changed from a praise and worship uh, group to a group that does alternative rock, and they are finishing a new project titled Chromatic. And uh, Novum Records is also behind Liturgy Resources um, that, uh, that, that is made available for, for, for worship leaders and, and, and liturgical musicians. And so the psalm that we heard is from that uh, from, I guess I'm going to call it that project. Anyways, there's lots to talk about. And maybe I should just bring in uh, our guest, Willie Hickel, to uh, disentangle me from this uh, web that I think I've spun here. Will, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, sorry. And I'm sorry if I kind of made that sound more more complicated than, than ever. But, but I, I think that I want to ask you about Novum. And yeah. because it sounds like that, that word, it sounds like you like that word. Um, <laughs> but, but I want to back up because before Novum, you were Will Hickel. I mean, so um, have you always been Catholic? Did you grow up in a Catholic home? Was it musical? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I have always been Catholic. Um, I was, I'm a cradle Catholic, mm -hmm. you know, um, I was the kid who was forced to go to mass, you know, <laughs> despite wanting to. And I'm, I'm very grateful as an adult that I was forced and, okay. um, you know, thankfully had a lot of great community growing up. Um, all the, the kids that I kind of grew up with happened to all be Catholic too. So when we were all like teenagers doing life teen, we were like, wait, you're mm. Catholic? Oh, you're Catholic? Oh, cool. We're already friends. So wow. we kind of had the community before the faith, which, you know, is a huge blessing because I think most people yes. have faith and then find community. So um, so that was really, really impactful for me. Mm. Um, growing up, my, my dad loves going to concerts. I mean, uh, my bedroom was right underneath his office and he's okay. a night owl. So I would hear music constantly as I was sleeping. Every time we went on a road trip, we were rocking out to different records when my mom was cooking wow. or cleaning radios on. So a lot of music in the house. Right. Um, and I'd always just been drawn to it. Um, yeah. and, uh, 
Is and it a big, so, it, sorry, is it a big family? Do you have brothers and sisters? I have a brother and a sister. Yeah. Um, okay. And they aren't really musical or anything, no. but um, I was very drawn to like the piano. So my mom bought me this like rinky dink Radio Shack keyboard <laughs> um, with light up keys on the piano. And um, I just kind of started learning there. And then in college, um, I had discovered a website kind of showing you like what, how to play piano chords and then kind of just, I mean, just a basic chart, you know, of like, hey, this is the pattern for a C shape or a D shape. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I would look up my favorite songs and I would say, oh, okay, so this is the chord for the verse and, and the whatever. And so I actually like kind of taught myself the piano that way wow. Um, wow. back in like 2010. <laughs> so would you say, so is piano your main instrument then? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, basically my only one. I can kind of get away with other things, but piano is definitely it. So how did Novum, the, the duo with with uh, Eric, Eric Wilkes, how did, how did yeah. that come to be? So actually, I never really wanted to start a band. In around 2012, I was more passionate about music or just production, like live production. Okay. Um, you know, I'd worked backstage at a, at Steubenville on the Bayou uh-huh. in Louisiana doing like pro presenter and like helping out with all that, that stuff. And so um, I was way more interested in production. And so it wasn't until a moment of prayer at the beginning of 2013 um, that the Lord was basically like, Hey, I want you to start a band. And I was like, LOL. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my millennial coming out. LOL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, ha ha God. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't write music and everything I'd written previously. Cause again, I'd only really started learning piano in 2010. So by 2013, it's yeah. like, I don't really know. I, I'm so new to this and I, anything I've tried writing has not been that great. And, um, it was in, you know, but God always has his plan. And so a few weeks later I was in adoration and I was just struck with something. Mm. And so I wrote, um, the song free, which I think we'll play soon. We we heard it at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So, um, so free was the song that I wrote in 2013 and I showed it to a friend who was like, he, and years later he would tell me if that song wasn't good i wouldn't have like connected you to like the studio so it's like the super like gateway into like everything wow. that is now because you know my friend introduced me to now the co-owner of novum records uh whose name is mason shirley mm-hmm. um and so mason helped us with our first record he he was mixing it but anyways so what happens is after this song i end up writing another one and i start talking to all these people especially eric and eric mm-hmm. is super talented and he had been approached by a lot of people who were like hey let's start a band and he's like okay cool yeah whatever because no one ever followed through but you know i said hey let's start a band and he kind of gave me the same like okay sure guy but i was i had enough tenacity and drive to actually like follow through with it so we created our first record um and then from there the reason how we get into like the other novum entities yeah um is that you know from there um, we had learned a lot and we created like a publishing company and everything to kind of administrate all of our stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm a super, um, a super left brain person as well as right. And it's yeah. something I think the Lord's gifted me with. So like, not only can I be creative, but I'm also super like, I love spreadsheets and yeah. contracts and like all that stuff. And so, um, you know, with all the stuff that I learned, he introduced me to, uh, Gabby Banson. Uh-huh. Who, who I guess who would be considered our first signed artist because he was like, Hey, Gabby's got this really cool music. Maybe we can help her with okay. the things, the things that we learned through our process. Let's uh, help other people. And I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we helped her. And then our next artist was Rita. It was Rita the same West. thing. Yeah. Eric then, was like, Hey, I know Rita West. She's got some great music. Maybe we I can see. help her too. And so it just slowly grew. And so 
the reason uh, Novum Records became a thing, it's only Novum Records has only been around for a couple years now, uh, but it was originally the publishing was called Mercy Crew Publishing, uh-huh. um, and and what happened was Mercy Crew Publishing's mission was to serve the church, but as we started signing more artists, and as even me and Eric decided, hey, we don't really want to do worship anymore. We need a we need a place for this music to live that isn't just for for praise and worship or anything. So Novum Records, as like the sister company to the publishing, is like the label side. Yep. So that now we can have different genres, and it's not weird that mm-hmm. are like, yeah. hey, you're here to shop for like mass music, but you're rocking out to Stephen Joe yeah, Bear's no, album. I understand. Like, I understand. No, it may, and it makes perfect sense. And I love the fact that it's that you're supporting other artists at the same at the same time. And we've had John Finch, and we've had Rita West on the show. And we yeah. hope to have more. Now, every time we have an artist and they say that they're part of the Novum Collective, at least we know what they're talking <laughs> about. Um, in the little time that we have left, there's there's so much to talk about here. But I, I didn't want to let you go without talking about your new project, Chromatic. Yes. Because um, that's with you and, and Eric. But yeah. I also, the, we heard a psalm, and that's mm-hmm. that liturgy resources. So quickly tell us about the liturgy resources and how that can help people, and then tell us about Chromatic. Yeah, so, you know, we just, we find there's a hunger and a need for for great modern Catholic music, and so, um, especially in the liturgy. And there are people kind of operating in the sphere, and we're just trying to add to that. And so the idea behind the Psalms is we wanted to make them widely available. So if you're a worship leader or, or a director of liturgy or anyone, mm-hmm. you can go to liturgyresources.com and you can read all about what we've got going on, but you can also sign up. So we send out every Monday, we send out the responsorial Psalm for that coming Sunday. Okay. And so um, if you're a one license user or a song select user, all of our Psalms are available on song select. Um, and and we we right. uh, we send out the PDF and the and the YouTube link for free. But all of our psalms are also available in our mass settings. Are available on YouTube. They're available on Spotify. We want it Wonderful. to be just totally accessible from every angle and every platform for people to just have, you know, whether they want to pray with it or or simply reference it. It was mostly for the reference okay. for worship directors. So if people go and I'll I'll give the website later. But but so if people go to Novum Records, they can find liturgy resources, and that's the the place to go, right? They can they can find it on that website or um, or liturgyresources.com. Okay, Very that's simple. super easy. So liturgyresources.com. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Tell tell us about Chromatic because it's an album. It's still. Are you crowdfunding it still? Is it still? We, yeah, we are. It's been a slow process, um, but we are still crowdfunding for that. We have a big goal. It's twelve songs. What's really cool for all the music nerds out there is every <laughs> song is in a different key. So there's oh. twelve songs and they go up the chromatic scale. That's so, totally nerdy. I love it. Oh, yeah. great. So um, so that was a fun challenge. It took us a few years to write the whole thing. Um, but we, we've written with people. Uh, I don't know if you, you anyone here knows Greg Boudreaux from The Vigil Project. Yeah, of course, of course. A lot great. of the album is written with him, uh, with Stephen Jobert, with Matt Lewis. Yeah. So a lot of great writers on the album, a lot of great. Um, it's just we want to be the Catholic, like Coldplay or Mute Math kind of vibe. It's okay, very nice, accessible. Yeah. It's not a worship album by any means. It's very, um, I mean, I think accessible is the best word for it. It's just so it's an indie, album. It's indie music. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna close with with the title track, I guess, chromatic. Uh, yeah. Um, it, but it's yeah, very. It's a it's a it's it's music to listen to in in the car. I think. Can I say? Yeah. That? Yeah. And what's cool about chromatic is that song was written and inspired by um, our one of our favorite bands and influences is Mute Math, who sadly are no longer together. But okay. because they broke up. Um, the guitarist, his name is Todd, was like, hey, I'm looking for work. So we were like, hey, we have a song that's kind of y'all in y'all's vein. Can we work with you? Oh, and he's like, yeah. So wow. Todd produced it and plays all the guitars and bass and everything. Yeah, and then, I get and then 
Yeah, and Mute Math's drummer, uh, Darren King, is actually drumming on the track. Oh, so cool. a dream come true for us to have worked yeah, with them. Cool, yeah, and it is a very sort of guitar bass heavy song. Um, okay, cool. Wow. Um, lots of information there. Will Hickel. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that we'll have you. I mean, I'm sure we're going to have uh, uh, hear about Novum Collective uh, lots uh, in the years to come. Uh, but it's been great uh, meeting you, Will. And uh, thank you for what you're doing. And we we look forward to hearing more when this album comes out. Let us know and maybe yeah. play some more music uh, on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You can learn more about Novum the Duo, Novum the Collective. Just go to the Novum Records website, novumrecords.com, and remember liturgyresources.com as well. Um, if you want to listen to this interview again or to hear the rest of the program, go to our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. And here now to take us out is Novum with the title track of their new album, Chromatic. Listening to Will Hickel with his band Novum with Chromatic from their album of the same name. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Learn all about Salt and Light Media and support what we do at our website, esomedia.org. That's also where you can watch all our coverage of the indigenous delegation that went to Rome and the papal visit and find other resources on these topics. If you have any questions or comments, or just to say hello, reach out to me through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour.